Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Insecurities are things we all have to deal with. They make us feel awkward, insignificant, and hinder us moving forward in our spiritual life. On today's program, we'll see how we can overcome our insecurities and go on to spiritual maturity. Cheryl's message titled, Maturity Brings Security. So how many of you, like this is quiz day, how many of you watched Rocky and Bullwinkle when you were a child? Okay, that was my favorite. I loved Rocky, but I also, and I liked the moose, you know, who doesn't, you know, like whatever his name was, I can't remember, Mr. Moose. What? Bullwinkle, that's right, Bullwinkle, thank you so much. Some people are awake. So Bullwinkle, and, and the study really wants to feature him this week. No, but Rocky and Bullwinkle, my favorite part was Fractured Fairy Tales. I just love those. And you know, you watch them with your grandkids and they're not getting it at all. And you're just like dying. Like, this is so funny. And they're like, oh, grandma's happy. But I, I remember with Rocky and Bullwinkle, there would always be two titles for the episode. Do you remember that? You know, it's this or it's this. So I have two titles for this message. And somebody tried to choose one. I'm like, don't choose. It needs both. And you know who you are because you wooed at the wrong place this morning. So insecurity due to immaturity or maturity brings security. Because what we're going to talk about today is why we have insecurity. And as women, our middle name is almost insecurity. Cheryl Insecurity Broderson. As women, we know insecurity. In fact, I think we do insecurity better than men. Men, you know, they don't really show it, but we show it. We show it when we're checking our bags in and they say, do you have anything lethal in your bag? And not only do we not have anything lethal, but we want to tell them anything in our bag that could possibly be seen as lethal. There is a small four ounce hairspray and there's a blow dryer, but there's no bomb in the blow dryer. And then I have my coffee mug. I don't want you to blow that up. You know, we tell them everything. And then I pack three pairs of pants and pajamas. And Brian says, they don't need all of that. You know that phrase, TMI, too much information. Brian's always going, TMI, TMI, Cheryl, TMI. Because I I just, it's my insecurity. I feel like I have to tell them more than is necessary. Years ago, I was coordinating, and I used to coordinate weddings, and I was doing this huge wedding. And I was working with a new pastor. And his, I had never met him before, but his last name was Peeper, Pastor Peeper. And, And the more I said Pastor Peeper, the more awkward it got. So I found myself using it over and over again, like ending and beginning every sentence with Pastor Peeper. Like, Pastor Peeper, could you stand here, please? Pastor Peeper. Pastor Peeper, would you like to give an invocation? Peeper Pastor. Pastor Peeper. And Brian's just looking at me going, 
Oh, no. She's at her awkward place. And he could see it. Finally, it got so bad that Pastor Peeper looked at me and said, call me by my first name. Tom. Peeper Tom? Tom Peeper? I, I mean, Pastor Peeper Tom? Tom Peeper Pastor? Peeping Tom Pastor? I mean, what? Pastor Peeper Tom? Tom Peeper? I was gone. Brian just looked at me and he just left because he had to go just find a quiet place. Solitary place. Just to laugh. I hate the way my insecurities affect me because I go awkward. And when I'm insecure, I get insecure about everything. Everything. Um, I'm like, wait, did I use these recipes? Did I add the flour? Did I not add the flour? Did I add the baking soda? Or did I add the baking soda? Did I add the salt? Or did I not add the salt? I get insecure about everything. And then you have trouble. I have trouble making decisions when I get insecure. Oh, I don't know. Should I go? Should I not go? Oh, what, what, if I go, what will happen? If I don't go, what will happen? Do I have the right clothes? Do I not have the right clothes? Am I too old for this? Am I too young for this? Am I, you know, too gray for this? I have all these troubles just moving forward and making decisions because of my insecurity. And I remain at this immature state. You know, as women, we're always looking for something else to secure us. I have more women that I have met that introduce themselves by like, hi, I'm a friend of so-and-so. Instead of I'm, you know, I'm Kelly McLaughlin. I made that name up. So if there is one, sorry. But you know, instead of just, you're you and you're created by Jesus Christ, but they always have to say, I'm the wife of, I, I, you know, I invented the internet. You know, just something to make yourself feel secure. Like I have value. I have value. And we do this because of our insecurity. We're looking for rituals. Hi, you know, I do yoga. Okay, I like you now because you know how to do a downward dog. My dog does a downward dog. I realized that like, honey, that's a downward dog. And Barnabas is doing it. Okay, that has nothing to do with it. I think that's Jasmine's influence on me. Or rules we follow. I'm a rule keeper. Hello, it's all right. I remember this woman didn't want to give me bracelets for the pool at the hotel I'm staying at. And I, I looked at her, I said, you don't have to worry about me. I'm a rule keeper. You know, I had to tell her that. I'm a rule keeper. I'm with you. I understand your legalism. I too am a rule keeper. A relationship we have and the education. I'm a PhD in brushing dogs. I don't know because I don't have a PhD, so I made that one up. Or what career we had or have or the things we own or where we live. But these things don't give us security. That's why we have to keep mentioning them because they're not giving us the security that we crave. And as women, we crave. We crave security. Jesus said in Mark 8, 35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, the more we try to feel secure or secure our lives by anything in this world, the more insecure we feel. Why? Because if we try to secure it by money, we spend it. It gets lost, it's stolen, and we're always worried about who wants our money, who's going to take my money, who's going to rip me off, who's going to do identity fraud. Fame, people are so fickle. Career, fired, replaced by a machine, outdated. 
There's no security there, no security in education because it can be rendered useless or outdated. You know, somebody who's got a degree in science from 1954, there have been so many advancements, especially in technology. I mean, I hope you didn't keep your cell phone from 19, you know, 96, because it takes a whole room. A house, fire, foreclosure, faulty electricity, plumbing, friendships, move, lose touch, people change, marriage, achievements are forgotten. Religion gives a false fret. You can't even trust in religion because that's man's attempt to reach God or rituals. You know, this is our family traditions and we try to find security in family traditions and nobody's cooperating. And these never give us that security. Insecurities are due to our immaturity. Do you remember how insecure you were as a child? My grandchildren, two of my grandchildren, the first time we took them to the beach and we're so excited and they stepped on the sand and they're lifting their foot going, (laughs) because it's giving way under their feet and they're afraid they're going to fall through. You know how they're just so afraid and they have no idea how fun sand is, how fun it is to take home and bring it into the house and watch mom try to clean it up and vacuum. I remember as a child being at uh, my aunt's camp, Camp Friendly Acres, and going up to the dining room all by myself. I was all of six years old and I had walked this long path. At the time, it seemed like it was like three miles long and I went back and I think it's 100 feet. But at the time, it seemed so long. And I was confronted by a nurse when I tried to walk in the dining room. And I have no idea what she said to me, but I turned and I ran as fast as I could back to the cabin, crying, banging on the door. My mom opens it. The nurse is trailing behind me going, I didn't mean to hurt her feelings, but she's covered in a rash. My mom looked at me. I had the German measles. So I wasn't allowed back in the dining room for a while. But I remember being afraid of this woman who was only trying to help me because I was immature and I didn't understand the phrase German measles. You know, you need to go to bed. I didn't understand those phrases. Of course, you know, as a child, anytime anyone tells you to go to bed, it's an insult. But spiritual immaturity will leave us insecure about our status before God. We will question the validity of our salvation. We'll be unsure about God's grace. How far does it extend? When does it extend? We will ask ourselves questions like, does God really love me? Or what if I backslide? Will I still go to heaven? Or how much can I sin and still qualify for heaven? We will have questions about God's word. What does it say concerning repentance? What is repentance? What am I to repent from and how do I do it? About baptism, how old do you need to be? What is the purpose? Does my infant baptism count? Must I be baptized to be saved? And how many times should I be baptized? Or the laying on of hands, what does this mean? Is it safe? Does it require uh, elders? Can women lay hands on others? What does it accomplish? Or the resurrection of the dead? Will my body, my body, rise physically? What happens to my body when I die? Where does my body go? What happens to people who are cremated? Eternal judgment. Is hell real? How could a merciful God let people go to hell? Is hell really forever? 
It is not wrong to ask these questions, but immaturity can be measured not by our ignorance to the answers, but by our inability to move forward until we have a complete understanding of these things. Amy Grant spoke about trusting God with the unexplained. You know, my dad did not have to explain everything to me before I let him drive me to school. He didn't have to say, now, Cheryl, I'm going to turn on the car engine. I'm going to put this key in the ignition. I'm going to turn it. And when I turn it, the engine's going to come to life. I didn't say, wait, wait, wait. How does the engine come to life? Explain to me the function of the pistons. And I've heard this term radiator. What does that have to do with getting me to school? You know, how is this going to work? I didn't have to understand the function of the engine. He didn't have to explain to me everything about the car just to drive me to school. I trusted him. I knew what he was doing. But sometimes as believers, our immaturity and our insecurity is due to the fact that we will not move forward until we understand everything. And there are some things that we will not understand until we're mature or sometimes until heaven when everything will be understood. Amy Carmichael said this, but faith is not trusting God when we understand his ways. There is no need for faith then. Faith is trusting when nothing is explained. Faith rests under the unexplained. Faith enters into the deep places of our Lord's words, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Faith, having entered into those deep places, stays there in peace. The believers that are addressed in Hebrews were using these questions as obstacles, excuses, and justifications to not go forward or deeper into Jesus. But true faith in God will always press us forward, will always mature us, secure us, and answer our questions. The Hebrews were stagnating in immaturity in Hebrews chapter 6. Their spiritual immaturity was keeping them from moving forward. And it left them in the elementary principles of Christ, verses 1 through 2. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Doctrine of baptism. Being identified with Christ fully, being filled with the Holy Spirit. The laying on of hands, the transfer of authority, prayer and leadership. Resurrection of the dead, heaven, the final judgment, eternal judgment, questions about hell. They were unwilling to go forward until they fully understood and the author promised that all would be explained, verse 3, if they would only move forward in faith. Once they move forward in faith, progressively all the questions would be answered. When Nicodemus came to Jesus with questions in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that he would never understand these things until he was first born again. If Nicodemus would be born again, then the understanding would come. But 
the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul the Apostle explained it this way, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, spiritual understanding is progressive. The more we press forward in faith, the more we understand. In fact, in Hebrews 11.3, which we'll be uh, studying next year, the author said, it is by faith we understand. Hebrews 11.3, it's by faith we understand. Understanding comes as we press forward in faith. This unwillingness to press forward was keeping them insecure about their salvation. So the author wants to secure them, wants to show them how secure they are. And and what he's saying to them is once you've been enlightened and you've tasted the heavenly gift, you've become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God, tasted the powers of the age to come, that this is the state of the mature and the secured. Once you've done this, you're in. You're in. You're enlightened. You've tasted the heavenly gift. You're partakers of the Holy Spirit. You know the goodness of God's word. You, you felt the power, seen the kingdom of God, what, it, what God has not planned. And he says, it's impossible. He said, if you could, if there was a possibility that you would fall away, this is what it would mean. It would mean that you'd have to be renewed to repentance. You can't be renewed to repentance. The repentance when we receive Jesus Christ, it's, a, it's that salvation, the moment of salvation. We, we've renounced the things of this world completely. We've changed thinking. Repentance means to change the way you think. So how can you change the way you think again? You've already changed the way you think. And then he says, you, you crucify Christ again, putting Christ to open shame. In other words, it would be to say, to, to have all this happen to you and then to leave it would, as if you were saying Christ's death means nothing to you. And Christ was not sinless. He was just another criminal that deserved to die. And what he's saying is you don't feel that way. You don't feel that way. Christ's death means something to you. You've been enlightened. There are those who remain in this immature state saying, am I saved or am I not saved? And they're not ready to step forward or to go deeper or to invest more of their life or their time or their energy. They're just stagnated. Are they saved? Yeah. They've tasted. They know. They don't want to go back to the world. They believe Jesus' death avails. But then they're like, but. And sometimes, honestly, let me say this. Those who do this are using it as a justification to not forgive others, to keep sin, to read and unedifying or to keep these little sins in their life, to make provision for the sin. And so they say, well, until Jesus answers my questions, I can keep these sins. And I'm not giving up these sins until Jesus answers all these questions. I'm not gonna really invest in church or, or fellowship until all my questions are answered. The author is seeking to secure them in spiritual maturity because once you truly invest everything into Jesus and you go deep into the faith, all your questions are answered. You 
receive this divine security in your salvation. I don't question my salvation anymore. Is Cheryl really saved? I know I am. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. His death means everything to me. If Jesus' death on the cross means something to you, you're saved. You're absolutely saved. You are enlightened because you know that his death availed for you and covers your sins. You have therefore experienced the heavenly gift. If you believe in the cross of Jesus Christ and that Jesus was sinless and died on the cross for sin, then you've experienced the heavenly gift. And you are therefore now partakers in the Holy Spirit. And you are ingesting the good word of God and you are experiencing right now through the forgiveness of sins, the powers of the age to come, and you will not turn away from the Messiah. Their insecurities were due to the fact that they had not gone deep enough, invested enough in Jesus. So he's going to give them now evidence of their salvation. He starts out with this illustration of the soil in verses seven through eight. And he says that the same rain that comes down from heaven has a different effect on two fields. And the one field, this rain produces herbs that are purposeful or useful because the field has been cultivated. It's been prepared. It's weeded. It's plowed. And the seed is planted. So the rain has a purposeful and good effect. But there's another field where nothing has been done to this field. It has never been plowed. The seed has never been planted. No effort has been given to it. And so the more rain it gets, the more thorns and briars come. And the more that field is rejected, it's useless. And it's near to being cursed. And the only help for that field is to be burned. But you see the evidence, the evidence that you are saved is that the rain coming down, God's word coming down on your life, it's bringing purpose. It's bringing productivity. It is, it is wanted and it's bringing the blessing of God. Those who are mature, plow the field, plant the seed, are productive and receive God's blessings. But the cursed are those who don't care about changing the field. They don't want their field changed. They're saying to God, don't touch my field leave my field alone. And they never even bring the seed to the field. They never plow it up. They never plant. There's no sacrifice, no plowing, no spiritual preparation. And these are the ones who are rejected by God. These are the ones who are near to being cursed, whose end is fire. But the author says, beloved, beloved, this is not your state. He said, We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So he's going to talk about the evidences in their life that they are saved. There are evidences in your life that are meant to secure you like, oh my goodness, before I knew Jesus, I would have reacted this way. I just reacted in a whole different way. Jesus is in my life. Spiritual maturity. He is making them secure, showing them evidentiary 
back from their own lives, about their eternal welfare, about their spiritual productivity, and about the blessing of God in their life. Because why is he doing this? Because the author has these incredible, great, deep truths, glorious truths that he wants to open their eyes to. He wants to show them the great things of Christ and the power of faith. He says, I want, I want to show you what is yours, what you have. If we understood, I remember how Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you and the gift that he offers you, you would ask him and he would give it to you. Spiritual immaturity will leave us insecure and stunted in our spiritual life. In our uncertainty, it opens the door to question God and gives way to doubts about our salvation and God's grace, love, and mercy towards us. The believers that are addressed in the book of Hebrews were using these questions as obstacles, excuses, and justifications to not go forward or deeper with Jesus. We can learn from their mistake and press on and grow because true faith in God will always mature us, secure us, and answer our questions. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at spiritual maturity as we continue our series, Our Great Faith in the Book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.